Well, good morning. I have a couple testimonies to share with you as we kind of uh, walk into this worship, prayer, and healing night uh, weekend. Wanted to kind of encourage you about some things that have happened right here in our body, whether it was uh, at, at home or whether or not it was involved in the worship, prayer, healing night last couple years or or whether or not it just happened in service, what have you. So last night I got a chance to share a little bit about uh, Nicole's, uh, healing of carpal tunnel and then actually got a chance to read the story of Louise Rittmuller's, uh, healing of two very, very serious diseases. One was hepatitis C and the other one was, um, uh, a word that I cannot pronounce. So it's, uh, cryoglobulinemia, which is actually pretty, pretty rough. So what I would like to do is share a little bit about kind of some other ways, I, I kind of want to mix it up a little bit in terms of understanding that God doesn't always do things the same way every time. We definitely want to see about how he is creative and just in the same way that Jesus, you know, healed people in such a variety of ways that you would, you know, you keep trying to track and you go, so what's the formula? There is no formula. That's not the point. The point is that the power of God moves as the power of God wants to move. And so uh, a couple stories that are really sweet to be able to understand the complexity of all this. Let me just read a couple of these. The first one is uh, Rick Tubbs. He's one of the uh, guys on our prayer team. So a lot of times, especially on Saturday nights, he'll usually stand right here at the end waiting to pray for people. He's part of my personal intercessor team. But check this out. This is a little unusual. He said this, I was watching a live feed on TV of a conference with my daughter, Corey, who's also on the prayer team. Now at this conference, they were praying for healing as we do during worship prayer and healing night. They called for people with, pro- with problems from past accidents. And Corey, my daughter said, dad, that's you. So I stood up right there. They prayed as we watched on our computer screen. The people then asked for us to try something we couldn't do before. So I stood on, on one leg, the one that, had, that the nerve hadn't grown back from my back operation. The muscle on that leg was atrophied for years and I couldn't balance on that leg. The muscle on the back of my leg suddenly was plumped up as opposed to flat before. And I could balance on that leg and it's amazing and I praise God for it. I still suffer from back problems, but get prayer for this regularly. When I do, it goes away. I'm much improved, and I know that he'll heal me completely when it fits in God's plan to do so. Praise God, Rick. Man, how awesome is that? You know, it's one of those funny things where you go, no, 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 no. Somebody has to be there and touch you, right, for God to heal. No, God doesn't have to have that. God can do it any way he wants. And if he just says, hey... You know what? I'm just getting you on the phone. Someone can pray for you over the phone. There's been a lot of stuff like that. And you don't even have to know the person praying for you. It's just kind of crazy. Why? Because it all comes from the Lord. And the Lord's going, I don't really care who all is involved. I'm doing my thing. And so, hey, if I want to go through those prayers or those prayers or whatever, I'm doing my own thing. And so just allow the Lord to be creative. Allow the Lord to do what he would like to do with you. One other thing is Michelle Eastman. I thought this was a very sweet testimony. Michelle Eastman's on our staff and she wrote this out. I met up with Justin Storm. That's our business manager. I met up with Justin Storm outside the office for a meeting and he noticed I had my left hand in a brace. I'd been having some pain in my wrist. I really wasn't sure the cause of the pain. It was just a constant ache, but I didn't think it was a big deal. So I didn't mention it to anyone. 
I was just going about my day as usual, but when Justin saw me, he said, hey, what's the deal with your wrist? And I said, oh, it's nothing. It actually had been hurting a lot the previous night, and the pain had kept me awake. And he said, it's not nothing. God wants to heal that right now. Let me pray for you. I agreed. I mean, why not? Prayer's always good. I believe God heals, but I had already asked the Lord to take my pain away, and he hadn't. But we can always ask again. Justin put his hand on my wrist with a brace on it. He began to pray, and he said that he could feel heat on my arm. I didn't feel the heat, but I did all of a sudden feel the nerves twitching and shifting. This is a totally new experience for me. I just began to chuckle because God is so cool. Justin asked me to take the brace off, and I did. He asked me, how's your wrist feel? And it felt fine. No pain. I was healed right then and there. It's been four months. No pain. God is good. He cares about our big hurts and our little ones too. Amen? Amen. Listen, whether or not it's this, you know, it's something as heavy and serious as cryoglobulinemia, which you have to get um, chemotherapy for, or whether or not it's heavy like hepatitis C, which doesn't go away, or it's, man, I got this brace on my wrist because it hurts a bunch. God cares about that stuff. There's a lot of times where we will wreck something God wants to do because we go, no, it's probably not a big deal. Here's the deal. Always think about it through this lens. Would you care about it if you were a good parent? I mean, if your child comes up to you, for example, I was praying the other day over my littlest one, Andy, because she had the sniffles. Now, are the sniffles that big of a deal? No, they're not. They're just irritating. You know what I mean? But as a dad, I don't like it messing with her sleep. I don't like the idea that it's bugging her every day while she's in school. And so as a loving father, I'm praying about what we call in our house, the snuffles. Now, is it going to be a world changer if she gets healed or not get healed? No, it's just that as a dad, I care. I want you to be thinking through your heavenly father, seeing you even in the little stuff that you go, Lord, I I know this probably isn't a big deal. I I know. And you're trying to put all these qualifiers in there, right? Well, I know, uh, Father, that that whether or not, you know, this this neck pain that comes on periodically, you know, whether or not that's probably not a big deal. And and the angels probably don't care about that either. But but I, I, you know, just lift it up to the Lord and just say, hey, Dad, this thing right now, if it's not blessing me, if it's not advancing your kingdom, if it's not advancing your will, if it's not about transforming me into the image of Jesus, hey, dad, can we get rid of this and just lift it up to your dad and allow him to do what he does? It's not always the big stuff. Sometimes it's the little stuff too, all right? So in that same vein, I'm just going to pray for you as a congregation Because, uh, as I said last week, it would sure be wonderful if a lot of us had some of our stuff handled by dad before tonight, so we can come in tonight ready to love on other people. I mean, it's okay for you to come tonight. I think it's wonderful if you come tonight for prayer, but how awesome would it be if God fixed it right now and you could come tonight being able to focus on other people's needs? That would be pretty exciting too. So let me just pray. What I would like for you to do is just to call to mind something that you've been praying about a lot. Just saying, Dad, what about this? Dad, what about this? And you haven't heard a clear no. The Father hasn't told you, no, we're not doing that, sorry. 
and it's still up in the air and you're going, well, Lord, this is still something that is really hard on me. It shouldn't be, but it is. Or Lord, it's a big deal. I can't walk. I can't hear. I can't see. I can't. What I mean, whatever it is, I want you to be thinking about that because we're just going to ask dad what he wants to do. All right. So let's just go ahead and I'll pray for you. You pray along with me. Heavenly father, do as you wish right here, right now. That even, Father, while we are sitting here listening to your word, engaging with your worship, being able to praise your name as we are praying, Holy Spirit, just come in and walk this place. Walk on each and every aisle and each and every seat and begin to touch us. And the one thing that I know for sure, Jesus, that is in your will is that you would download your love upon each and every one of us. That we know that you love us deeply. We know that you love us radically and viciously. And so would you allow us to feel your love today? Would you allow us to, those of us that you just said, you know what, that has no part in your life, get that out. Would you just begin to touch us and heal us right here, right now? That God, as we call to mind the things that we have been trying to lift up to you, And Lord, for whatever reason, there has not been any breakthrough in that area. I just ask God, what about now? What about now? Holy Spirit, is it all right? In your power, would you open up heaven and just download your amazing grace upon every single one of us? Lord, for some of us, it's mental illness. For some of us, it's addiction. For some of us, Lord, it's baggage from our past. For some of us, Lord, we just need to be rescued and saved. For some of us, Lord, it's back pain. For some, it's arm pain. Lord, there's all kinds of stuff that's crazy going on in our bodies. Lord, if it doesn't need to be there, get it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's grab our Bibles. Take out your Bibles. We're going to be in the physical Bibles today. We're going to read through John's account. We're going to be in John chapter 14, verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1. And it's going to be approximately around page 901, and the Bible's under the seat in front of you if you don't have a Bible with you today. Also, take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door. We can begin. It is part 82 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled this morning's message, From God to Man and Back Again. And what's intriguing is that this message I would never normally teach verse by verse. Now, even though I always do that, this one is so thick and, and, and it has so many complications to it. I would much rather teach it uh, topically. I would much rather rearrange the order and kind of put it all in there. But this is the way that John recorded it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through it line by line. And it's going to be dropping one bomb after another of things that you would go, man, that would take me like a month to chew on that one. I get it. But because it's all collectively one concept, we're going to soak in it today together. Now, it's a lot, so I'm going to be moving through rapidly. Of all the messages that I've taught in the past, this is probably one that I set aside probably 75% of my research. I'm not going to be able to teach it. So that may be one that you need to know the notes about if you want to know more information about it. Because today, we're going to be talking about the Trinity. Let me ask you a quick question. Which person of the Trinity is most important? Is it the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Yeah? Yeah? How do you know that? Do you know that because of your theology class? Do you know that because a pastor told you? Or do you know that because of the Bible? Is the Trinity in the Bible? Well, the concept is the word's not. As a matter of fact, the word is just somebody's idea of going, man, let's call it this. 
because they don't know what to do with it. What we do know is that the Bible explains that the Father is God, that the Son is God, that the Holy Spirit is God, and how they all work out to be one God. Man, that's complicated. Let's call it the Trinity. So they threw that in there, right? And you go, well, well, hold on, hold on. Where is that in the Bible? Well, uh, just begin to think of the obvious ones off the top of your head in terms of things like in the creation account, right? We see and we know from scripture that it was the father that instigated or initiated or launched off all creation. We know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that the father spoke forth, but what did he speak? But he created with a word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But notice verse 14 in John 1, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's that? But Jesus Christ, the second person, the father initiates and launches and fires out and the son emanates out from the father to create. It says all things were created by him, for him, through him. And yet as creation is being formed, we have the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters of the deep. You understand what I'm saying? So in creation, you have all three. In Jesus' baptism, you have all three. You have, obviously, Jesus in the water. You have the Father's voice coming from above, and you have the Spirit descending like a dove. So we have three, and yet the Bible is very clear. Hear, O Israel, our God is one. One, three persons. One God, three persons. How does that work? I have no idea. Right now, we've always had all these silly analogies that you get maybe get taught even as a child in church about how to understand something like a three in one concept, but they all break down. Obviously, the one that you uh, you grab as a kid is the egg. The egg's the easiest one. You all know what I'm talking about. An egg has three parts to it. It has the shell, the yolk, and the white. Some recipes call for the yolks, some call for just the whites, and also you have the shell. Now, what's intriguing is if I said, hey, can you grab me an egg out of the fridge? You would know what I'm talking about, yeah? So you grab the egg out of the fridge. If, for example, I'm eating one of your recipes and I said, man, this tastes really good. What do you got in there? You'd say egg, even though it's just the yolk, even though it's just the white. You'd still say you have, there's egg in that. And then if I saw a beautifully decorated oval thing in your curio cabinet that was just a shell, I'd say, what's that? You'd say, that's a decorated egg. You still seem to call it egg every time. And yet there's three distinct, they have distinct properties. They have distinct elements to them. They have distinct functions that they do, but indeed they are one. Now that obviously breaks down really fast. I mean, if you get into there, you're going, well, that's not kind of what the Trinity, we have nothing in our world like it. God is the prime mover, the eternal cause. I mean, you have to understand that God always has been. If you can wrap your mind around that, you can probably wrap your mind around the Trinity. God always has been. And so he is not represented exactly anywhere in our world. So it leaves us kind of going, man, I don't really get it. So all we can do is work with what we're given. We know that the Father is God. We know that Jesus Christ received worship and praise and said stuff of him that you cannot say unless you're God. We know that he was crucified and killed because he, the Jews said, a mere man claimed to be God. We know that the Holy Spirit is a person because it is used the masculine 
it's not the neuter language used of the Holy Spirit. It's referred to not as it, but he. We know that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We know the Holy Spirit can teach. We know the Holy Spirit can be engaged with in relationship. That means he's a person. How all those make up God and we have a triune being, that's obviously pretty complicated, right? But what Jesus is about to do with his disciples in this Last Supper motif, where it's this last day, he gets to hang out with them. As he is talking with them, he begins to tell them about how God works. He tells them about how he works, how the Father works, that the Holy Spirit is on his way. This is what we're going to kind of soak in a little bit. So what does it have to do with us? Do you understand that... The Bible says that all of our families, the family structure, mom, dad, kids, stuff like that, all family structure is actually a demonstration of the nature of God. It says on earth, all families derive their name from his nature. What does that mean? It means that God is self-contained. God is speaking to himself that a lot of people go, well, he created us because he was lonely. No, he did not. We're terrible conversationalists. Angels are better to talk to than we are, right? He didn't do that. He didn't do it because he was lonely. God is never lonely. Why? Because there's community inside himself. The father can speak to the son who can speak to the Holy Spirit. And they at all times are unified of one mind and one heart. They're all on the same page at all times. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still missing how that affects us. Well, once again, we see that in, when God created, he said, let us make man in our image. Do you remember that? That's a plural. How that works, I have no idea. But what happens is, is that we are made built for community. We are made built for unity. Is it said when God created things, that's good, that's good, that's good. He gets to mankind. He says, that's very good. But then he says something is not good. Do you remember? What is that? It is not good for what? Man to be alone. Because God is not alone within himself and we represent him. So it's not good for us to be alone. But all of a sudden we see Jesus come down and he says, you are my body. Do you remember that? He says to the church, you are the body of Christ. And just as I and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one and unified, so too ought we to be unified. So too ought we to be interconnected and interdependent. That whenever there is schism, whenever there is wrecking, whenever there is animosity within the body of Christ, it's not like God. Until we are fully unified, we are not representing God well. In our families, if there is not unity, we're not representing God well. Why? Because of the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. The Trinity is all about unity. The Trinity is all about unity. It seems very slippery to try to study one of them because they all keep referring to each other. You look at the son and he says, have you seen the glory of the father? And you look at the father and he's like, have you seen the Holy Spirit? And you talk to the Holy Spirit, have you seen the son? And at all times, they're always deferring around to the other one for their glory. In the same way, should we not have the same attitude, that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very form God, did not consider equality with God something to be hung on to, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. He came down and served. In the same way, if you hang out with somebody from Bridgeway, you should be able to go, man, you're pretty impressive. And they should say, have you seen the rest of us? 
You understand what I'm talking about? All right. All right. John chapter 14, verse 1. Here's how he begins. If you remember the last time we were together, Jesus dropped some really bad news on the guys. You remember that? He actually said, hey, I'm going away. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be murdered. And it's going to be horrible and nasty. And you're all by the end of tonight going to run away from me and abandon me. And Peter, one of our key leaders, is going to disown me three times. Now that's called crushing news. Everybody's bummed out. Everybody's hurting. Everybody's thinking, how in the world, if that really is true, how are we going to make it through that? So Jesus begins right in a very personal place of comfort. Take a look at this first line. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be agitated. Don't let them be bothered. What's the solution? I want you to believe in God and believe also in me. All right, a couple problems right away. I thought you were God. Why did you say believe in God and believe in me? Whenever you say that, you keep throwing me off. Why does he do that? Because when the New Testament uses the phrase Elohim or God, it usually means one of two things. It either means the Trinity in its full form or it means the Father. Right here, it means the Father. So the the Jews believed in God. They believed in God the Father. That was easy. That was a lockdown. So Jesus starts from where they're at and then tries to move them where they need to be. So he says, guys, believe in the Father. The Father's the one telling you, you don't have to worry. I need you to also hang in there with me. I'm also telling you, you don't have to worry. So you can trust us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them go wherever they want. Don't let them just run off. Don't allow your mind to play the what if game. Don't let it go into crazy places. I need you to rein it back in. You're in control, not your your emotions, not your whims, not your passions, not your drives, not the craziness of your mind. You're in control. Guys, lock it down and bring it back in because it's not appropriate here. Now, there are some things to be troubled about. In a few short verses in Matthew... We end up finding out that in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says Jesus was sorrowful and was troubled. So if he says, hey, guys, don't be troubled, there are things to be troubled about and there's things not to be troubled about. He's like, guys, this isn't one to be troubled about. There are some things you may be concerned about. This one isn't it. I'm with you. I got you on this one. Look at the next phrase. In my father's house. Where is his father's house? Heaven. Yeah. Okay. In my father's house are many rooms. What does that mean? Does that mean, oh man, it's going to be cramped in there. Oh, I only got a 15 by 15, right? And for the rest of all, you know, I have to get a hall pass just to go outside. You know, I don't like this place. I hate that wallpaper. That person's room's bigger than mine. I mean, is this what we're talking about? Is this heaven with all these little rooms everywhere? Oh, it's a big mansion. Well, I wonder if I'm upstairs or downstairs. And I don't know what level I'm on. I hope there's an elevator. I hate to walk for eternity. Blah, 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 right? No, that's not at all what it means. Here's only two things that you need to know what it means. In heaven, there are many rooms. There's room for you. That's what you need. The first thing you need to know is there's plenty of room for you. You have to pay. No, you don't have to pay rent. Praise God. Woo. That's awesome. Well said, my man. Second thing you need to know is not only is there plenty of room for you, but it's a permanent address in my father's house. There are many rooms and you don't have to get kicked out. You don't have to what move on. You can be there forever. 
So it's permanent and it's ready for you. He said this, he said, if it were not so, I love the practical Jesus, right? If it wasn't like this, would I have told you that I'm going to go prepare a place for you? No, obviously, if I'm telling you that it's legit. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to that where I am, you may be also. A couple things you need to know about that. Prepare. You bet. Prepare, right? What is he preparing for us? I mean, if he's going away, he's going to prepare a place for us. That's incredible. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. It all depends on what you're talking about. What is he going to prepare for us? I don't know. What did he prepare for us the first time? Do you think our world is pretty complicated? Do you think it's pretty creative? Do you think it's pretty brilliant? I mean, you're looking at a world. We're analyzing with our science a world that has already been distorted by sin and wrecked. And we're still amazed by it. I mean, do you understand? It's almost like taking a masterpiece, smearing all the paint, and still finding that it's stunning. You know what I mean? So what God created for us to be in the first time with these bodies is pretty awesome. I mean, we're literally starting to go out into the universe and see the amazing creativity that he's got out there. We're still finding new little species. We're still seeing new versions of things. We're watching things morph and adapt all the way around us. I mean, this world is incredible. We can go down to the microscopic, the atomic level and see beauty. We can go into the deep oceans and find beauty. We can go out into space and find beauty. If that's what he prepped for these little dirt bags of skin, what do you think he's preparing for the glorified body? You want to dwell on heaven, dwell on that. Now, all of a sudden, we don't have the same limitations that we have right here. Now, all of a sudden, he's going to create an infinitely more creative world that can expand to what we can engage with. There will still be learning and adventure and, and things to do and excitement. And there's still this idea that, look at God, look at what he did. We'll still be discovering things all throughout eternity. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. He said, if I'm going to go prepare a place for you, don't you think I'm going to come back and get you and get you there? Why would I do all that work for nothing? Of course I'm going to come get you. Over and over, what you're going to see is you're not abandoned, you're not abandoned, you're not abandoned, you're not abandoned. Apparently, all these uh, disciples had abandonment issues like the rest of us, right? And so he's constantly going, I got you, I got you, you're all right, I'm covering you. And the other thing that I would love for you to see is how much God desires to be with his creation. He keeps saying, I want you with me. I want you with me. I want you with me. I mean, even just think about redemption as a concept. God was with man and then sin wrecked everything. And he was not okay with that. So he went to extreme lengths to reconnect. He just does not want to be away from us. I know we always feel like, man, it's all cold down here. There's no ability. My prayers don't go anywhere. God, where are you? I'm speaking into a void. No, you're not. God is infinitely close. He doesn't want to be away from you. Even while you sleep, he is hovering over you to make sure that he is near. Let's keep moving on. He said, verse four, and guys, you do know the way where I'm going. Meaning I've already told you this. We've talked about it. I've lived it out. Then Thomas goes, uh, I got a question. You all remember Thomas, right? 
Thomas said, uh, Lord, no, actually, we don't know where you're going. How in the world can we know the way? Okay, here's Thomas. He's forever the logical analyzer skeptic. Okay, so he's going to go, hey, all these other guys look like they're in church where they're nodding when they don't really understand, right? I'm not doing that. I don't get it. You keep saying, you know where I'm going. No, I don't. So I'm not going to be posing like the rest of these people. Just tell me, Lord, where exactly are you going? How are we supposed to know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am. Okay, you, you can stop right there and you see the power of that, yeah? I am. John records seven, obviously because of the number, seven I am statements about Jesus. This is the sixth of the seven. And then he says something, and we know why that word is so powerful, right? I am, that phrase. It's the personal name of God. That's Yahweh, which means I am. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he wraps it with this. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's powerful. He said, I'm the gateway. Nobody's getting to heaven. Sin's not getting into heaven. Do you understand that? So really, the only way is through me. If you got another sin washer, I'd love to find out about it. Because you can't have any sin and get into heaven. So who's going to fix that for you? Well, I made a way. If you go, well, why is there only one way? You miss the fact that there is a way. One problem only needs one solution. He's not interested in giving you multiple options for your whims of people. He's like, listen, you are going to die and I can make you live. The whole idea that you would ask me about options is ridiculous. But then he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In what way is Jesus the way? Well, he reveals the way, and then he redeems us to be able to follow the way. He's our connection from God to man. In what way is he the truth? Well, he's the living gospel. All that he talked about, he lived out in front of us. In what way is he the life? Well, he is life. He's the source of life. He's the sustainer of life. And he is the quality of life. Now, imagine this, as one commentary said, in its immediate context. In a few hours, Jesus is going to hang on the cross and die. He is certainly not going to look like the way when he's hanging on the cross. He, as everyone has lied about him and he's hanging as a common criminal, he's not going to look like the truth. And when you lay him in the tomb, he's not going to look like the life. So Jesus said, I know what it's going to look like. I need you to hang in there with me because when I come back, you'll get it. I need you to know I am the way, the truth, and the life despite what is going to occur over the next number of hours and days. I am the way, the truth, the life. There is no other option. You got to walk with me. I'll get you home. He said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And you know what? Now that I've been with you guys from now on, you do know him. You have seen him. And then Philip goes, I got a question. Okay. So it, they're always lost. All right. The disciples are always, it's not just us. It's always them too. Philip said, Lord, if you just show us the Father, that would be enough for us. Man, just a theophany would be awesome. Just have the Father show up like kind of the whole Moses gig. And if we could see God, then we would all go, yep, legit. And we can all move forward. Do you understand how insulting that is to Christ? Hey, if we could just see the Father, he's like, hold up. What? Why are you asking to see Dad? You're looking at me right now. What do you need? So he said... Jesus said to him, have I been with y'all so long? There's no other way to do plural use without y'all. You agree? 
All right. You got to understand these. All right. Have I not been with you all so long that you, Philip, singular, still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you singular say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I'm in the father and that the father is in me? All right. There's this, a lot of this whole in thing. The Bible does that a lot. You're going to end up hearing Jesus go, I'm in the father. The father's in me. We are in you. You're in us. And you keep going, ah, what does that even mean? In you, in me, all that stuff. Here's what it means. I want you to think about it in terms of marriage. I want you to think about it in terms of the union between man and woman as husband and wife. The Bible says that it's such a significant fusing together that they become what? One. That means there is a new union, a new entity that is created out of that relationship of two together in marriage. Huh. That means even practically speaking, through the eyes of the state, what one party does affects the other one. Both debts and assets are shared. If that is the case, the Bible says that when we get rescued and saved, we become unionized. We become connected with God and we become partakers of the divine nature. All of our debts transfer over into his account and they're cleansed and wiped away. All of his resources transition down to us. That's glorious. If you could just meditate on that for a while and figure out, wait, 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 I'm connected with God and all that he has is now being placed on my account. That's incredible. So what happens is, is we are in one another. In other words, I'm in your life. You're in my life. We are sharing of the same. We're a part of one another. We have a union together. And he said, guys, whenever you see me, I'm so united with the father. You might as well just see him. Man, if you want to know what the father thinks, what do I think? If you want to know what he does, what do I do? Not only are we unionized like that, but also I'm the perfect servant. I'm carrying it out as if he was doing it himself. You never have to worry what the father thinks. You never have to worry what the father does. I showed you. I demonstrated, I told you guys, literally the words that I say to y'all, he says, verse 10, I'm not even speaking on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Okay. Why does he say that? Once again, throws things off. I'm not speaking on my own authority. Why, why not? Why not just speak on your own authority? Cause he's talking to Jews. You don't have to say that to Gentiles. You got to say that to Jews. Why? Remember, Jews are completely fine with the father. They're just questioning Jesus. So he always takes them from where they're at to move them to where they need to be. He said, guys, I could talk on my own authority right here. I'm not. I'm just telling you what dad thinks. I'm just doing what dad does. So you absolutely have to walk with me and trust me in this because you all want to do what the father wants, right? Okay. I'm living that out. That means I'm legit as well. And then he gets practical again. Verse 11, believe me, trust me, live as if it's so that I'm in the father and the father is in me or else just believe on the proof, on the evidence, believe on the account of the works, my words and my deeds, believe on those themselves. Have I not demonstrated the father clearly to you? Of course I have. 
You know that. Listen up, boys. This is deep, he says in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. There's no such thing as a biblical Christianity when you don't live like Jesus. It's just how it works. If you are with me, he said, you're going to live like me. Well, that obviously is pretty challenging for us, right? Because we go, well, I, I kind of do. It's like, well, the kind of do is not exactly what I was talking about. If you believe in me and live as if I'm legit, if you trust in me and you know that I am God, if you want to be with me and like me, why wouldn't you walk like I walk? Why wouldn't you do what I do? It only makes sense. He will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Okay, this is a bomb that he dropped. What did Jesus do? What was Jesus' lifestyle like? He preached the gospel. He loved on people. He revealed the kingdom. He cast out demons. He healed people. And he did miracles. This is his lifestyle. Is that your lifestyle? He said, if you're in me, this is your lifestyle. Do you do that? And if you don't, why not? He said, you're going to do the stuff that I did. You're going to talk about what I talked about. You're going to reveal what I revealed. Why? Because you're part of me. You're just carrying out. You're my body. Therefore, you're not different than the head. Jesus Christ is leading us. We're now doing that. As a church, we are to be demonstrating and living out the life, even collectively, that Jesus lived here on earth. And greater things will we do than he did. Why? The Bible says that a servant is not greater than his master. The quality is not better suddenly that people are going to do than Jesus did. But the scope is going to change. He's going worldwide. And the intensity is going to increase. Why? For two reasons. Number one, he's going to give us the Holy Spirit who's going to empower us so that we are continually empowered to do the works of God. That's number one. Number two, as the body of Christ, we're going to keep doing what he was doing on earth. Why wouldn't he keep amping up and ramping up the intensity of what he was doing? When he first started his ministry, he turned water into wine and it was one solo event. By we get moving towards the end, he's got people raising from the dead. So he was ramping it up. Why wouldn't he continue that through his church and keep blowing up the world for the kingdom of God? Here's another thing that I thought about all my ministry life, which is about 20 some odd years, all my leading life, I should say, I, I've always been told this by other leaders, man, we got to get back to the early church, got to get back to the book of Acts, got to get back to the book of Acts. That's, and they keep saying it as if that's the coolest thing in the world. What if the book of Acts was the infancy of the church? What if it was the ground floor? What if that's where you only start from? Because we keep going, man, the book of Acts, that's awesome, book of Acts. That's baby Christianity. We can't even get to the bottom of the barrel. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to get to that because from there, we should have grown. From there, we should have maximized. From there, we should have increased. That's not the ceiling, that's the floor. You know what I'm talking about? Whoa. And we got a lot of work to do to get to the bottom of the barrel, right? <laughs> Woo! He says this. 
whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Man, when I answer your prayers, my dad looks good. So whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. That's another bomb, right? You're like, anything? What? Well, I hate my ex-spouse. Throw them in hell. <laughs> right? Anything? Do you understand that there's a caveat in there? That's what? If you ask anything in my name. The Bible says that it's God's will that none shall perish, but all have eternal life. So therefore, that check is going to bounce. You understand what I'm saying? The only way it is to ask in Jesus' name is to be able to sign his name on the bottom of the check you wrote and have him authorize and cash it. In other words, how would Jesus pray about it? What would Jesus do about it? If you're not praying in alignment with how Jesus would have handled the situation, he may well just go, yeah, we're not cashing that one, sorry. But if you carry on what he was doing, if it's merely an extension of how he would have handled it, if it's a response to how Jesus would have done of it, he said, I'll do it, let's do it right now. I want to keep doing what I was doing and I'm going to do it through you. So let's do that. But you got to do it in my name. You got to do it like I would. You don't just get to fire out randomly all over the place and think that that's cool. It's not cool. Hmm. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Is that a promise or a command? If you read it one way, here's what it sounds like. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. You understand the inflection point? That sounds like a command. Guys, come on. If you love me, we got to live a certain way. Because you can't keep claiming that you love me and then not do anything about it. There's no such thing as actionless love in the Bible. Well, I feel warm about you. Well, you probably have gas. <laughs> I'm living for you. Oh, you love me. Oh, that's great. Don't give me all this, oh, I just feel this way about it. Whatever, your feelings are going to move based on what you eat, right? You know what I'm saying? And so he's saying, no, 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 action matters. If you love me, you're going to actively live it out. And so is that what it means? Or does it mean like this? Guys, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That that's the promise. Meaning if you love me, that's where it all starts from. Then you start caring about what I care about. And then you start wanting to be engaged with what I'm doing. And it just naturally flows out of you. So the love is the issue and it flows from there. Which one do you think it is? Yes. All right. Praise God. Both. Let's move on. Verse 16. Another bomb. And I'll ask the father and he will give you another of the same type as me. A helper, an advocate, one who's going to defend you and stand in there with you and walk alongside with you to be with you permanently forever. Who am I talking about? He said the spirit of truth who will share reality with you, whom the world cannot receive. It neither sees him, knows him. It's not picking up on him. It's not tracking with him. But you know him personally, for he dwells with you right now and he will be in you post-Pentecost. Y'all know the Holy Spirit? He seems to be that other guy, right? You know much about him? Because he is the primary person of the Godhead engaging with the church since Jesus Christ left the earth. He's the one guiding them in all truth. 
He's the one guiding us. He's the one that gives us power to live victoriously. He's the one that helps us and walks alongside. But here's what's so cool about what Jesus is saying. Guys, you're worried about me leaving. Here's how much I love you. Even in my leaving, I'll make sure that I'm closer to you. I mean, do you see that? Because the father used to speak and then the son walked alongside, but the Holy Spirit goes inside. So every time God gets closer and closer and closer to his people, you must hear in this message that we serve a personal God that wants a personal relationship that wants to engage with us at the deepest level. And he, then he goes back to the boys. He said, guys, verse 18, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. I will come to you. And yet in a little while, the world won't see me. I'm going to die on the cross, but I'm going to show myself to you. You'll see me because I live because I'm resurrected. So will you live? You'll be resurrected in that day. You will know that I am in the father and you and me, and I'm in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that's obedience versus knowledge. Do you understand you don't get credit for all the sermons that you understand? You only get credit for the sermons you live. You understand what I'm talking about? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Whoa, 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 what? What, if you love me, then I'm going to love you. If you do these things, I'm going to love you. That sounds like performance-based Christianity. That doesn't sound right. Well, hold on. We got to understand the figure of speech. When the Bible talks about God loving someone in terms like this, it doesn't mean it's taking into account that he already loves people in the way that you think of love. When it says that God loves someone, it means actively blessing and bestowing his favor on. Let me give you an analogy. One of the most famous passages in the Old Testament about this. God said, Jacob, I loved Esau. I hated. Do you remember that? They're two. They're twins. And you're like, man, that sounds rough. God loves one kid and hates the other kid. That's mean. That's not what it means. Because we know that because God did love Esau and blessed Esau. And actually Esau had a huge lineage. So God did love him. Then what does it mean? Love means active blessing and favor. Jacob, I will actively bless as the promise line. Esau, I will not. Right here, here's what he said. If you're obedient to me, I'm able to release to you beautiful gifts of favor and blessing obedience leads to blessing and favor why because it's just more of god's stuff if you're doing what he's doing wouldn't he want to empower that more it only makes sense he said and that's how you see me as you walk in me as you are obedient i'll keep showing up and the more i show up the more you're going to be like yeah jesus is in my life if you become a Christian and spend so much time in disobedience, it's hard to feel like God is real at all because all you have is correction and discipline. Ah, let's keep moving. So then Judas, not Iscariot. Wait, who? There's another disciple named Judas? Man, why doesn't the Bible get more creative and have different names for people? You know, all women are named Mary. All guys are named, jo you know, everyone's Joshua. Okay, here's the deal. There were two guys named Judas. There were two guys named Simon. There's a bunch of commonalities here. So they had to clarify. This guy's other name is Thaddeus. Does that help? 
Nope, sure doesn't. Nobody cares. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? What's that question about? Uh, Jesus, I have a quick question. If you're the Messiah, aren't you going to show yourself to everybody? Why do we want a private Messiah? That doesn't make any sense. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will actively bless him. And we, the Trinity, will come to him and make our home with him. Okay, real quick. Who's in your heart? When you're a little kid, it's Jesus, right? And you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Well, then later on, you find out it's actually the Holy Spirit that indwells in your heart. And then he says that he's grabbing the Father. So it's way crowded in there, you guys. All three of them are in there. Why? Because they all do it together. It's the way that it works. He said, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Because you don't care enough to care about what I care about. And the word that you hear, guys, is not mine. It's the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name to do like me, He, masculine, personal, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. Now, immediate context, he's saying, guys, when, you got, when I need you to write this stuff down, the Holy Spirit will inspire you and remind you. Don't you ever wonder, how did they remember all this stuff? You know what I mean? I mean, all of a sudden you got to sit down and you just live three years with Jesus. And they're like, okay, so tell us what it was like. What did he say? I don't know. He said a whole bunch of stuff. One time he was like, Peter, knock it off. <laughs> I remember that one. Oh, that's not important. Don't write that one down, right? And he was like, who took my parking place? And then I was like, I shouldn't write that down either. You know what I'm saying? How would you know? The Holy Spirit guided them and reminded them of all things. But don't you realize that the Holy Spirit is still teaching the church? Mm. Shalom, I give to you. He said, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I don't give as the world gives, right? Where they go, oh, I hope peace happens. No, no, no. I make peace happen for you. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Reign it in, guys. Neither let them be afraid. It's not necessary here. You heard me say I'm going away. You're right. But you also heard me say I'm coming back. You don't have to worry. I'm coming back. Honestly, boys, if you love me, you would have rejoiced, been happy for me because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I right now. Don't you understand what I set aside to come down here and hang with you guys? It's been rough. 33 years of pretty much being treated like dirt when I am the king of all creation. You should be happy for me as my friends that I get freed from here and I get to be king of kings and lord of lords. But you're not. You're still selfishly going, no, 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 we want you, we want you, we want you. No, you have me. And I'm making sure that when I go away, you're still taken care of. But aren't you glad for me that I finally get to be seen for who I am? I got to get out of here, guys. Right now, and how we work, the Father is the greater one. He's telling me what to do right now. But as I'm restored, I can do it all on my own. Now, I've told you before it takes place, guys. I called my shots so that when it does, you may have belief and trust in me. All this is going to be scary and it's going to rattle you. But I need you to understand, I already told you in advance. We're okay. Look at this. Now, our conversations are going to be cut short. I will no longer talk much with you. Why? For the ruler of this world is coming. Who's the ruler of this world Jesus is talking about? Satan. Why is he the ruler of this world? Because we handed it over to him. 
Is he still the ruler of this world? The Bible says that the cross changed all that. And after the cross, Jesus started pressing in his kingdom and started shoving out the enemies. Uh Uh-oh, now there's a war. But notice this. Even though he was the ruler of this world at this time, he has no claim or hold on me, Jesus said. But I do as the Father commanded me all the way to the cross so that the world may know that I love my Father enough to be obedient. Rise, you guys, let us go from here, he said. Okay, two things. Number one, how come Satan has no hold on Jesus? Because Satan only has power and authority where sin reigns. Jesus didn't have any sin, so there's no way to get a foothold. Y'all remember that phrase in the Bible, a foothold? Watch out on your sin so that Satan doesn't get a foothold, because that's where he has authority. In sinlessness, there's no authority. Then the other thing is he said, rise, let us go. Like any good preacher, he says that and then talks for another hour. Right? He's not done. He still has a ton more. Then what does it mean? Most scholars believe that this is where Jesus said, guys, I need you to get your gear. We have to get down to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, We got some things that we need to do there, some prayer, and then there's some guys that I need to meet there. Right? That's where he's going to get arrested. And so most scholars believe that he's having this conversation while they're gathering their gear and then on their walk down to the Garden of Gethsemane and then finish the conversation in the garden. All right. So what does this message mean? What do we take away? Well, there's a couple things you need to know. Number one, we serve a personal God that wants to engage with you and he will do all kinds of crazy stuff to get close to you. Number two, God is unified 100% and so should we be. Not just with him, but also with one another. And number three, if we truly love him, obedience is the natural progression. So wherever we have a problem with obedience, we actually have a love problem. Let's go back and fix the root and not always try to merely contain the symptoms. You know what I'm talking about? We keep going, man, I don't understand why sin just keeps coming into my life. It's just all over the place. And it's the same habitual sin. It's probably a love issue. If we spend all our time on sin management, we miss the gospel. Do we need discipline? Yes. Is that the only thing? No. We need to be set free with our love for the Lord. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your touch this morning. Thank you for the way that you revealed Jesus, who you are, who the Father is, who the Holy Spirit is. May we engage with all of you personally. Holy Spirit, I know that you engage with us primarily right now, and so we would like to acknowledge the fact that we have left you behind that we have not been willing to engage with you and talk with you and pray to you. We apologize. Jesus, we want to tell you thank you for making it possible what was impossible, that you would die for us, that we might be set free. And Father, thank you for your love being so intense that you sent your one and only Son to die for us. God, we love you. May you be glorified in all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.